Before we get started, Dead and Married would like to thank those very close to our Dead Black Hearts, our patrons. Thank you to William Rush, Karima Rhodes, my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover, Gary Horton, Carissa. Jonathan says thank you. Dr. Sexy himself, Kent Morton. Oh yeah. Kate Lamp, Travis's cowgirl, Lala Thomas. Hey girl. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at the Podmortem Podcast. You can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms. And now, on with the show. Warning. The following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, welcome back to an all new episode of Dead and Married. I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. And today we are doing what I told Travis we wouldn't do. Yeah. Do you ever watch a movie and when you get done, you're like, I'm I'm gonna go bleach myself <laughs> and then shower and then bleach myself again. Oh my gosh, it's not that serious, dude. It it is. No, it's really not. So nasty. Because today we are discussing in another double feature, Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 and 2. Yay. <laughs> This film has come highly requested from my sister, and we are finally getting around to it. Now, I think maybe with the exception of Halloween 2018, this pretty much effectively wraps up our Michael Myers journey. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think I think 2018 is the only one that we haven't covered. So, you know, maybe we'll just have that one out as a standalone at some point. Yeah, we can hop around a little bit. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Last week, it, which is, is going to kind of fit in today's discussion too is that we talked last week a lot about how the H40 trilogy has been very controversial and divisive and Rob Zombie's two films are not without their controversy are not without their controversy too. Well they... So the one that we're going to talk about, the first one, um, I think that was like the highest box office grossing Halloween ever. Or so, I, I think I I've think seen, seen point, that somewhere. Or maybe I, it was just the, the opening weekend or something yeah. like that. I mean, it made them a shitload of money. Yeah. Maybe but, maybe then at that point. I'm not sure how David Gordon Green's trilogy Well, I mean, at the time performed. of its release. Yeah. It yeah. was. It was it was the biggest. Yeah. Um, but it did receive a lot of critical backlash. It did. And and we'll get into that of the about the things that we like and don't like and there are both and as much shit as Travis is giving these films I think there's some stuff even he can admit to is not that terrible and even really great in some regards so I'm not going to say that there aren't some bright spots in the movie but I don't know on IMDb this movie is a 6 out of 10 Rotten Tomatoes it's 27% uh, Voodoo it's 4.2 out of 5 so I guess it's kind of it's kind of mixed if you watch it on Voodoo you hate it if you watch it somewhere else you're okay with it sort of <laughs> kind of okay with it. It seems like uh, maybe just movie goers enjoyed it more than the critics did. Oh, I think you're absolutely correct. And there are some of the um, the gatekeepers out there that I think really did not care for this movie. They did not care with for how uh, the origin story kind of got changed, which we really didn't get much of an origin story in 78. I mean, right. he just he was just a little boy that kind of went off one day. Right. And this one, they give background and motivation. And I but, think that's kind of one of the sore spots, too, is did we need that? I think he's scarier without it. I agree, a hundred percent. I mean, I guess we can just talk about it. I, I don't like the family, but then I typically don't like any family in any <laughs> Rob Zombie movie because they're always just like 
trashy, cussing, dirty guy in a wheelchair with broken arms threatening to crawl over and skull fuck somebody. I just don't like the way he writes people for the right. most part. Well, uh, we were we were talking about this last night as we were watching it. It's not like we're perfect, you know, and I would care to wager that most people talk the way Rob Zombie characters talk. It's just you don't do it in polite company for one and you don't do it to the extent that he does it. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I don't think that most people talk the way that those people do. Okay, maybe not most people, but... I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that he seems to almost glamorize it right. in these movies. I was going to say, throw a rock and almost two out of three families uses the F word. Well, I'm not saying that they don't use the F word, but like, you know, at the very beginning, the, the daughter comes in <laughs> and the boyfriend's like, oh, she's got a nice ass. And the mom is like, what did you just say? And they have a little fight and then she's right. okay again. They're I mean, just... <sighs> I don't recall at any point over breakfast you telling me you were going to purge your snork over some titties. So no. <laughs> As no. said, not to the degree, but I think that he's a little bit more realistic with his dialogue than people care to admit to. Nobody wants that mirror held up in front of them. I think that he writes characters to be as base and dirty as possible. Yeah. But, and then he casts his wife. So, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> anyway. But, um, but also, I liked Tyler Maine as Michael, and I, I don't know that everybody did. I think he made a scary as hell Michael Myers. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say anything about the kid that played him as little michael <laughs> i love little michael yeah not i don't but i think tyler main did did a great job of being a a, a scary michael myers i agree 100 again and before we wade off into this i do want to say just reiterate something i brought up last week at the end of the episode in that i don't get terribly upset by these reimaginings so to speak um i feel like if we are having films that are able to create a dialogue in the community that says something about the film, in my opinion. There's way too many horror movies out there that people forget about. They end up in $5 bin. They go unnoticed. Nobody gives a fuck now. In those, there are ones that transcend and become cult classics. For instance, some people would never know about Psycho Goreman or Deathgasm if they hadn't listened to our show. <laughs> I think you're giving us way too much Classic. credit. But no, there are five people, six people. Is that right? Uh, eight. We have eight. Eight, yes. There are eight people <laughs> who know about those two movies now. <laughs> I think they probably knew about them before us, but I, we digress. My my thing is, is that I like having other people's interpretations of the story of the character. And depending on what mood I'm in, I can hop around to any of those timelines that I want to. I can hop around to any mood that I'm in, you know? I'm um, I'm a kind of a dark nihilistic person in general, so maybe that's why the zombie movies don't offend me as bad as others. Maybe. But the thing with Halloween is that there's what, there's 14 of them now? 13 or 14? 13 or 14? Yeah. Let's say 14. So if you don't like ends and you don't like either one of the, the, the zombie versions, you still have 11 other ones that you can watch. Yeah, you can go and you can say, I'm only going to watch part one and part two. I'm only going to watch the Thorn trilogy 
I'm only going to watch, you know, or the you original, the original in H2O. Part six is my absolute favorite, and I'm only going to watch that one. Yeah. But you have choices. Right. It's the same thing with Friday the 13th, is that people get really pissed off about, well, when they redid this part or changed this or that, you know, just ruined the whole thing. No, nah, it didn't. Maybe that one movie wasn't the best, but guess what? You've still got a shitload of Fridays to choose from. Right. If you don't like the direction they went with Robert England in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you've still got a ton of Nightmare on Elm Street movies that you can watch. So, yeah. So, just breathe. It's not that big a deal. So much like Green's trilogy, I I love it, but they're not without their problems, obviously. I'm not going to say that it's a perfect trilogy and that every film in it is perfect. They each have things that are cringe. They each have things that are badass. And for that reason, I think that is why I enjoy zombies movies is because at the end of the day, yes, there are things that are fucking atrocious, but there are also things that are great. So we've kind of already touched on just setting up this really trashy family and in in talking about was there any merit in giving Michael a backstory. My problem here is that I feel like it's too easy to throw that hole. He grew up in a broken home. He tortured small animals. Those are the things that you feel like is a trope. It's too easy. It's low hanging fruit. Yeah. And they, they don't, he didn't waste any time with this either because at the very beginning you see young Michael Myers played by Daig Ferrick. Mm-hmm. Probably getting that last name wrong, but shit, I'm probably getting that whole name wrong. Um, like picking up his pet rat and then in the next scene he's washing blood off his hands. So they established like in the first, what, five minutes of this movie that he's already murdering small animals. Right. And that the family is and, not good. And the thing is, is like, yeah, that's, that's fucked up when that happens. But at the same time, I feel like in OG, Michael just doing it for no reason at all just snapping is scarier than that. And he's wearing a mask around the house. So like wearing a mask was a thing that he was already doing. I guess. I guess. But the other thing is, is that he's not a likable kid. You know, I understand that Rob Zombie writes certain types of people, but if it could be a kid that wasn't quite as annoying and whiny, I I mean, you're still not going to support what he's doing, but at the same time, maybe you could be more invested in him as a character as opposed to going oh my god because him standing in the bathroom and going I'm not listening I'm like oh my god that took me back to want to hear the most annoying sound in the world well he's kind of a brat yes I understand that his home life sucks yes but he's he's still a brat right like the screaming and and all that shit I don't that's just a no they could have made him a more sympathetic character and then when the the flip happens it's more of a shock to the audience yes maybe Mm -hmm. um well like they did with Corey in Halloween Ends, right? They establish him as a good kid, tragic thing happens, and then at some point he flips. Right. So, I mean, you go from being happy for this kid in his engineering school or whatever, sympathizing with him, and then, oh shit. Yeah. You know, there's a there's an arc. With this kid, You're ready not for him to so die, much. like, immediately. Yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm ready for him to just turn into Michael Myers and shut the fuck up. I yeah. don't want to hear this kid talk anymore. And the thing is, is that with a zombie making the decision to affect it, it's almost like watching two movies. You know, we have our our, uh, prequel part of it, and then we have our remake portion of it. And so we have to spend an awful lot of time with this kid. And I just don't know that we needed to. Yeah. Again, like we we do the breakfast scene, we follow the kid to school. He gets picked on uh, by Daryl Sabara, (laughs) plays Wesley Rhodes, which I don't, I think they just call him Wes in the movie, but uh, he's one of the, he's a spy kid. Yeah. And (laughs) uh, we were talking about this 
last night, I was like, see, this is another instance where I feel like this was realistic because I remember going to school and kids legitimately talking like this. Oh, yeah. Kids are little shits. But yeah. Saying so, the, the most gross shit that you yeah, can imagine. Yeah, the most offensive things that they can imagine. Yeah. But I, I was kind of put off, I think, by the whole school thing. I don't feel like it was necessary and having to deal with watching uh, mom show up and self so fuck you to the principal and all that other shit. And I mean, you do get introduced to Malcolm McDowell. I was going to say, as I, th- Dr. I Loomis think that was, that was the point is to get that initial set up with his character. Yeah, but and I, I just feel like they could have sped that up. Yes, absolutely. However, I, I will go ahead and just throw it out there that I love Malcolm McDowell as Loomis. Is he Donald Pleasance? No, hell no. But he, and he also, he did not watch the previous films and watch that performance to prepare for this performance. He went in saying, I'm going to do my own thing. And because of that, it you know, it's another interpretation of the character, a different side to the character. And I like what he did with him. I liked him in this movie a lot better than I do in the second one. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. He he plays almost a totally different character in the next movie. But um, He shows up with his like 70s wig and his 70s clothes and I'm already like, oh, I see. We got got kind of a a badass here a little bit. He's a a hippie. But then anytime I see Malcolm McDowell in a film, I'm always happy to see him. Clockwork Orange is is one of my favorite films. But now one of the scenes that I do like in this this sort of introductory sequence is where Michael ambushes Wes in the forest after the Yes, fact. I agree. I think that it was acted very well. I think that the effects that they used were really good. It was, it was a pretty impactful scene. I also... Like it, it makes you cringe just a little bit. Yeah, I also like the realism of it and the choices that Zombie made in the cinematography here where, yes, this kid is dying, but you're getting his perspective of, of the, the shots of the trees and and stuff. I thought that was a really cool choice. Well, and you get to see him looking up at Michael. Yeah. And seeing it from that perspective, you're seeing the shape. Right. From that, from his, from the victim's angle. I feel like Sabara did a great job acting that out. Like you, I would think that someone was really beating that kid when they filmed it. Oh, absolutely. So he really, from a a kid actor standpoint, he really sold it. And it's, it's one of the few scenes in, in the series that I find legitimately disturbing. Like there's, there's not many of them. It, it feels like there's, like Zombie does this thing where he shocks just for shock's sake sometimes, but every once in a while you can see where the shock is to serve the story and we're setting up there just how fucked up Michael is. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the rare instances, I think, in his movies where he... The man has a great eye for framing a really good shot. It's not... It's misguided sometimes, but in this instance right here, it really worked. My problem with Zombie has never been his cinematography. No, his his artistry is great. Yes, I think he's he's an amazing director. Everything else. Anyone who's seen the Munsters, the new Munsters that he did, will tell you that the artistry is fine. It's everything else that's not good. It's it's his writing that leaves something to be desired. And his cast. But <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't say in every film necessarily. It does it get old for him to continue to cast the same people over and over? Sure, but I think in this case of this first Halloween, the the casting was stellar. My issue with his casting is that he will make a different movie, cast the same people who are essentially playing the same actors they were in the previous movie. And I understand that you've got the the House of a Thousand Corpses people, and they were playing the same people from one movie to the next. But Sid Haig is in this movie, and it's kind of a bit part.
part mm-hmm. or whatever. He's the caretaker in the cemetery, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that part later. But he's not playing Captain Spaulding. <laughs> and Sid Haig's a great actor. Yes. And it was good to see him in something other than Captain Spaulding mode, which seems to be what he's done in just about every other zombie movie he's been in. So at any but rate. he made, I, I, to me, the best choice that anyone could have made in casting Brad Dorif as Sheriff Brackett. And I'm going to be controversial here for a second. I actually prefer this bracket to OG bracket. I do too. He did not, Charles Cyphers did not, in my opinion, have as much to do in the original. He just kind of followed Loomis around like, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. And Brad Dorf brought so much gravitas to it. He was a character that you could sympathize with. And he just, I don't know, he just brought something to it that made him more interesting and more likable and more engaging. And his acting in this movie, not really so much on the front side but on the back end of the movie is amazing. Oh, like and they and should give him an Oscar. Well, not maybe not necessarily the first one, but, but the second one H2, for sure. For sure, yeah. Like talk about heartbreaking Absolutely. performance. And the the dude just nailed it. Like he, you would have thought he really lost a child. Yes. So it, the I don't know. Every yeah. time I and I have heard it, every time I have heard people say that he overacted in that scene, I get so pissed off. I'm like, "Oh, well, why don't you have a child die and then see how you feel after?" Tell me how you're supposed to respond in that situation. Yeah. Like that just that just blows my mind every time. He he that scene is hard to watch for yeah, me. It really is. So as far like as far as Sherry Moon, okay, she's I think we all around here can concur. She's not a wonderful actress. I had less of a problem with her in Halloween. I actually feel like she pulled off being a mother who genuinely cared about their child. I don't I disagree. <laughs> I know you do. No, if she had been a mother that really cared about her children, she would have kicked that piece of shit. Well, um, you know what I mean? I mean, as far as like the way... Out of the house. he would William Forsyth. She would have just like kicked him to the curb. I agree, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is in the way that she performs when she's talking to Michael. She seems tender and sweet. She almost seems like a mother. Yes, I agree. So I did not... I had less of a problem with her in this film. And then in, in particular, her suicide scene, I think she sold it. She did. Because that scene is really fucking sad too. Again, don't agree with the choices she makes as a parent, no. but she seems like she genuinely uh, loves Michael this, at the may, very least. You may disagree with this, but it seems to me like for the most part when her acting sort of falls apart is when she's trying to have a normal conversation on screen. That's when it comes off as kind of stiff and wouldn't. If she's doing something really emotional like the suicide part or when she's trying to talk Michael down, she's really good there. Like well, see, she's good with, the, with some of the really emotional stuff, but when she's just like, fuck you, Ronnie. <laughs> That's when you're like, God damn lady. Well, see, that's why I think my favorite character that she has played was her character in The Lords of Salem, because it was another one that was a highly emotional part and she had more to, to do. And I I think that she sell, sold that part very well. She just, I don't, she's not the worst actress I've ever seen. No, I don't not. know why people give her as much shit as they do. Is she stilted? Yes. Does she deliver some lines with cringe? Absolutely. Is she the worst actress I've ever seen? No. Not by a damn long shot. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just I'm just saying that in, in the scenes that deal with high emotion, she seems to tackle that pretty well. I mean, she handles it pretty well. It's just when she's having a normal conversation on screen that you're like, eh, that's a little, it's kind of a wooden delivery. You know yeah. what I mean? And we've discussed this before. She has said many times that she's not an actress. That's not her thing. She does this 
for her husband. Right. He and casts her so she does it. I don't I think that was the impression that I took from that. It's not that she's tapping him on the shoulder, put me in your next movie. He right. wants to cast her so she does it for him. Yes. And so I and that's that is awesome. something yeah, that's something I respect and can appreciate. Because that's something that I don't I don't know that I could do that. I, I don't know that I could be an actor. Like knowing that they're gonna you're gonna film me and then millions of people are gonna see this and they're gonna tear me apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm going to get heavily criticized no matter how good I do. Yeah. Like that's that's something. She she's taken on a lot for him. Yeah. So So everybody who has watched this movie, you know you know what happens. He has a shitty ass sister. Like we don't we don't know anything about Judith the way she was originally. We just know that she and her boyfriend fucked upstairs and then she was killed moments later. I did not care for this Judith at all. They did they did nothing to make her likable. No. And she's not on screen that much. No. Um, and again, not not but, a bad actress. No, she's not. She just but they as a character was They didn't repulsive. give her anything to do. She came down for breakfast that morning and showed her, her herself off, I guess, for the boyfriend and refused to take Michael trick-or-treating later that day and then took her boyfriend upstairs. Yeah. So, I mean, that was that's it. That's all the time you get with Judith, which is still more than you got with her in the original, but... But again, it's, it's not a character that by the time we make it to her death, we don't feel bad. No. You, you don't, know? You don't feel anything for this character. You don't you don't care that she's gone. Yeah. And I think in the first one, at the, at the very least, even though you don't get time with, with Judith and the OG, when he kills her, you're still like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, the only person I think I feel bad for in this, in this thing that has happened is the mom, honestly. Like, okay, we, we've already lightly, lightly touched on Ronnie. I love William Forsyth. He's another actor that I go, oh, hey, it's him. You know, I think I got a thin dick, but <laughs> he's. You know, for somebody that doesn't like Rob Schneider movies, you should, <laughs> you, you quote that one a lot. It's because we watched it recently, but he is a character in this film that I quote a lot and he does say some very un-PC things. He says some very harmful things, but his delivery and accent that he uses, it cracks me up every time. So thanks to the wonderful guys that we watched a movie and Travis kind of helping <laughs> facilitate my shenanigans. I, I walk around and I quote it all the time. Yeah. I, and it's, I don't know, it's sort of a credit to William Forsyth's acting ability because you really hate Ronnie. Yes. Like, you really want to see him die. And when he does, you clap. When, Take that when damn Mike, thing off. When Michael kills him, you're so glad that he's dead. Yes. Um, which I always said that, like, any actor, whether you like him or hate him, if they can get an emotional response out of you, like, if their acting makes you love them or makes you hate them, they're doing good. It's yeah. like the little bastard that played the king on Game of Thrones. Like, I just wanted to spank that kid all the time. <laughs> he must be a pretty good actor. So we, we go ahead with our normal story, of course. Michael kills Ronnie. He kills Judith. He killed the boyfriend. He killed the boyfriend. So, yeah. And Ronnie was pissed drunk, but he managed to, like, wrap his entire body in duct tape to the chair before he slit his throat. <laughs> How do you not wake up for that? I, I, How I many rolls know. of duct tape did he use? <laughs> like, did they buy it at Costco? Yeah. He had, like, the value pack duct tape? Yeah. I don't know. Um, the boyfriend, he beat to death with a baseball bat. Yes. And then he stabbed your sister's tits. <laughs> Sorry, that's a it's a wham thing. You should check him out. Yeah, three murders, just bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Right there. And then he's just, I mean, this is, they pulled it out of the first one. He's just standing outside. But again, uh, Sherry Moon, 
her performance when she comes up there and she's like, what's wrong? What's going on? Like, it was pretty good. Yeah. And we, and um, again, unlike the first one, we do set up the fact of him having a sister that wasn't something, you know, that was introduced later. She She's there from the beginning as, as a baby, whether you refer to her as Boo or Angel or Lori, what have you. We do set up that in this family, apart from his mother, Boo is the only person he feels any emotion for whatsoever. Yeah, but I mean, other than the fact that he didn't kill Baby Myers Baby at the Myers. very beginning, you don't really know what that emotion is. How do you figure? Well, I mean, does he love her? I get, I got the impression because he did. Because when he breaks out later, he immediately comes back. Yes, but he does not try to kill her well, immediately, that's true. if you remember. That, yeah, okay. So, I think I slept through that. Yeah, I think, I think, like I said, apart from his mother, she's the only person he cares anything for. But from here, we go to what? To a pretty short trial, and then he's, it's Smith's Grove. Well, it doesn't show the trial. They they talk about they it. They talk and, about it. Yeah. But yeah, we go from Smith's Grove here to basically play out the, the 15 years worth of well, Michael sitting in there. It doesn't show it. But, but it still lasted way longer than it needed to. It, it really did. And finally, after, I don't know how long he was in there. So there's two versions you can watch. You can watch the director's cut and you can watch the regular theatrical version. I own both. And there are things I like about the director's cut and there are things that I hate. But one of the things that was introduced in the director's cut was that Michael, for all intents and purposes, seemed to just be going along. And then they had one nurse who saw the photo of Boo and said, cute baby, can't be, can't be anything like you or something like that. Or so, yeah. And so he snaps and he stabs her with a fork. That's not in the theatrical version. And then he doesn't speak again. I mean, he me. does stab her with the fork in the theatrical version, but her her really hateful line to him, the, the cause of right. that. And I understand ultimately why they left that out. And again, it's just to show that he just snapped. He right. didn't need a reason to kill her. No, no. I, I don't know. Like I said, this that whole thing goes too long. But after that, like uh, Mama Myers comes in and she sees sort of the aftermath. And it's a very high emotion scene. She's screaming and crying and falling on the floor. And he's screaming and yelling and falling on the floor. And from right. there, we jump to him more or less being an adult. Well, we we talked about she the suicide could scene. commit suicide right. after this. And then, yes, we, we pretty much flash forward to Michael as an adult. Now, we did kind of gloss over a few things. And that's the, the people who are with Michael in the sanitarium. There's the character of Ish, of Ishmael. I hope, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Played by Danny Trejo who is probably one of the only decent people in this film. I think he's the only decent person Yeah, like seems film. to care about Michael, even though he's there, kind of watches out for him, looks over him, that kind of thing. But apparently that doesn't mean dick to Michael Myers. No, it really doesn't. And again, in comparison to the director's cut, we also have the way Michael breaks out is completely different in both films. So in the theatrical cut, we get our actors from, um, the Devil's Rejects in there. We get Bill Mosley. We get, um, oh, I can't remember her name, Mother Firefly, and uh, Tom Tolls, I believe, um, of uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer fame as as the guard. And he basically kills them and breaks out. And then in the director's cut, we have the atrocious characters played by, and I'm, I'm losing names right now because I didn't look them up. One of them is Courtney Gaines, who was uh, in Children of the Corn forever ago and then the guy from the walking dead <laughs> i can't i can't remember the actor's name i feel so bad about that right now but it's my show so <laughs> 
So what they do is they facilitate a sexual assault of another inmate and that provides distraction, diversion for Michael to break out at that point. And I fucking hate that scene a lot. As a matter of fact, if I watch the director's cut, I fast forward through that scene every time. It is pointless. It is voyeuristic. It's, um... That scene serves, it serves no purpose other than to further illustrate how awful the people are in this, in this area. Like, the only thing I can come up with is that Michael want, or not Michael, Zombie wanted us to have a killer that we could root for, possibly, and so he set up the most vile characters so that by the time he kills them, we're cheering for Michael. And I get that, but you don't need to have a to get that point across. No, you don't. And he doesn't just go after the bad guys. He's not Batman. Right. Because I think the last person he kills before he escapes is Danny Trejo. Yeah. And Danny, and he's telling him, you know, I took care of this kid for 15 years. Like, mm-hmm. you get the whole deal. And the whole time Michael's killing him, he was like, I was good to you, Mikey. I was good to you, Mikey. Yeah, I'm going to start telling Which I think that. they overused that line, but still, you're like, damn it, dude. Let Just let him go. Yeah. It, Leave it Machete was, alone. Yeah. <laughs> just, and then, from there, we get Michael going to a truck stop. I don't know if the sole purpose of this truck stop was to find a change of clothes or what. Maybe oh, it was no, but just his the feet, first his place feet he were saw. Nasty by the time he yeah. got there, he walked a long way in those croc sandals. <laughs> Maybe it was just the first place he came across nearest to, to the hospital. Um, I I don't know. But he could have run into someone that would put up less of a fight, right? Than Joe Grizzly, bitch. Yeah, because Ken Forey, who we absolutely love in this house for obvious reasons he's he's no small dude either what's crazy is when okay so he's he's in the in the bathroom having a sit having a think or trying to when michael shows up and he's like just let me pass this beast in peace yeah um, and looking at porn at the same yeah, time I, yeah it's a strange combination so but what killed me is when he opens the door and stands up and you're like, fucking Ken Forey's as big as he is. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, did they have him standing on a box or is Ken Forey just that big? No, he's I didn't just look that up big. how tall they are, but that was a good fight. Yeah. I like watching that fight. They were almost evenly matched. Michael was just stronger. And that's the other thing I don't understand about this is that Michael's supposed to be supernaturally strong, even though he's not supernatural. But how did he turn into like a WWE wrestler while he was <laughs> sitting in a sanitarium making paper mache masks? How did that shit work? I have no idea. Like he would still be tall, but he's not going to be in shape probably unless they have like a weight room or something. And I can't see Michael just, you know, going and lifting weights in his downtime. Like he's not going to be in there doing prison workouts. Yeah. So I just, I don't understand that part, but yeah, that was a good, I I thought that was a good scene. I like that. Yeah. And then, and then uh, he of course steals his coveralls. He's got to get his coveralls. But from there, we're pretty much an effective beat by beat retelling of the original film. Same thing. Yeah. We get set up with Lori. She's got to drop the key off at the Myers house. She's going to babysit Tommy that night. Like literally everything is about the same. And I would just like to point out that they did the breakfast scene in 78. They do the breakfast scene in this one. And then they do the breakfast scene again in 2018 at the Myers house. There was no the, breakfast scene in 78. Was there not? Where he, no. she, no, because she gets the key to go drop yeah, off. Yeah. They're already outside when she's but, leaving. But yeah. So in the 2018 uh, Gordon Green version, they basically replay this 
scene that Zombie put in his. Yeah, that just Except nobody got. No, yeah, yeah, no, nobody got peanut butter on their <laughs> penis. Yeah, everything from there is the same. It's it in the retelling and some shots, as a matter of fact, are exactly the same. It's just the characters. So real quick, let's let's gloss over those characters because Scout Taylor Compton as Lori in this film, I did not mind. She still gave off that girl next door, good kid. She was sweet. Yes, she gave off that vibe very well. You want this girl to survive. So she was not unlikable, and I I was thankful for that. Now, Linda, I... Oh... Like, uh, Travis and I, we've kind of picked on PJ Souls a little bit for her dialogue in the original, saying totally every two seconds. But she was still a likable character. She didn't do anything that made you go, oh my god, fuck this bitch. Annie was a pistol, and she just said exactly what she thought. Like, she was kind of mean to Lori in the original a little bit, like, picking on her and shit. But she was still likable. Yeah. I feel like Daniel Harris did a good job as Annie Brackett, though. Yes. She, to me... As being a pistol. Yes, she still gave off that vibe. What the fuck are you going to do jackhole. Yeah. Well, that's part two. But, <laughs> yeah, no, but still. But, um, but yes, she was still likable to me in that role. But right. then again, I can't look at her without seeing my sister. So it's a whole thing. She even acts like my sister. But I, apart from those two, I don't, I don't know. I didn't, again, I didn't care for Linda. I, I didn't like her dialogue. I didn't like the way she acted, the, the way she treated people. She, she was insufferable to me. And that's nothing against Christina Klebe, who, the actress who portrayed her. She's, she's fine. She, her acting was fine. I just did not like the way they wrote Linda. Well, I mean, that's pretty much the story through this whole movie. It's not that necessarily the actors and actresses were bad. It's not necessarily that that we had a a real problem with the characters. It's just the writing. Right. Like a lot of the writing in this film was not good. And you get to actually meet Lori's parents this time. She has a brief conversation with her father in the original about dropping off the key. But this time we actually get to spend time with her parents and see what Lori's home life is about. And it looks great. Her parents seem like they're they're good parents. It is the opposite of the home she was born into. Yes. Yes, exactly. And and they're great. And of course, Dee Wallace is, is always a welcome addition to anything. So by the time we get around to de- their deaths later, that was sad too. That was a that was another hard hard scene to watch. Um, and of course, Dee Wallace just sold it. Like she's she's amazing. But, and again, we've already talked about Brackett as being the real bright spot of this film. The standout to me is Brad Dorif. And we've already talked about that. But those beats are kind of the same uh, with, Loomis except for the fact that he has written a book since Michael since he left Michael right but it's not to the degree that he's in in the second film yes he wrote a book but he's not he's not wearing his Elton John gear yet (laughs) yeah he's not in the second one with the giant head and all that so like original Loomis as soon as he finds out Michael escapes he's worried you know he wants to get to Haddonfield as fast as he can and try to solve this and well and again in this part in this movie too they're like well we can't find him and they're like he's fucking going to Haddonfield yeah he's the only one that knows and and they don't want to believe him right until the killing starts so again I thought he he played that role very well in his in his interpretation of it I think that he came off as warm and caring and sympathetic and empathetic I think he gave out all of those things that give you a Loomis that you can root for once again he doesn't have 
that thing that Donald Pleasance had of maybe Loomis is a little crazy too. So I, I missed that element of it a little bit. But overall, I still thought that he was great in that part. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I think he did a great job. And and kind of back to Tyler Maine. He, I feel like he did a great Michael Myers. I, I do too. He was big. He, a lot of people would, would probably say, well, he doesn't have the walk. When you're six foot nine... <laughs> You just move. He, and I, he definitely lumbers a lot more. He does. But I, as far as the, the fear factor, I feel like he, he, bring, he brings it in this yeah. film. Yeah, I think that, that, you know, the reason that's a source of contention with people is because Michael Myers, Nick Castle's Michael Myers, uh, Dick Warlocks, and so on and so forth, they didn't have to be big guys to be imposing. No, but they played it two different ways. So though specifically, the your 78 Michael, he was a, a predator, right? And he stalked his prey this michael is not does not try to be that he's uh, like a truck driving through the middle of your house later yes at first he does kind of go a with, little the, with bit. the stocky stuff but that i can definitely see where the movement's not there and that you know creep factor is not there but it didn't put me off no it did not me either i like his interpretation. it wasn't bad it was just different yeah i i think as michael he's great um the mask i thought was really great too the mask was good in this first film <laughs> right. The half a mask or the quarter mask that they use in the next one. Well, we'll talk about that next <laughs> in a few minutes. But, uh, but yeah, I thought the mask was good. I don't I don't have any problems with his portrayal of Michael Myers. And I, I don't know if other people did. I'm sure somebody did. Yeah. But I was happy with it. I was right. satisfied with the, what he brought to the table. I do too. And again, there's not, there's not much to talk about as far as the latter half goes. Because again, if you know that the story of Halloween, you know the story too. It's, it's basically the same. The only difference and we'll go ahead and jump to the end here because we still have a whole other movie to talk about. The only difference here is that I think Rob Zombie intended for this to be a standalone film. I don't think he ever intended for this to reignite a franchise because it looks like to me, Laurie effectively kills him. Well, this was supposed to be a standalone from what I read. He did not intend to do another one, right. but their opening box office was like $80 million on a $15 million budget and the studio just badgered him into doing it. And you can, right. uh, it's kind of like, well, some of the later Halloween films were Halloween too. It's like Halloween too. John Carpenter didn't want to do it. Right. I don't think Jamie Lee wanted to do it. You could tell they didn't want to do it. Yeah. And the next one we're going to talk about, you can tell they weren't really invested and they were just like, we're just going to throw some shit out there. Right. Um, so, But once, yeah, this was supposed to be final, yeah, I believe. Once he has Annie lives in this one. That that's another difference there. And we could talk about that real quick, right? The attack, sure. the attack scene. I think Danielle Harris did a great job there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that uh, horror is pretty much her thing. Like that's all she kind of does. I don't know if she's been in other stuff or not. She has, but I don't know. Like we've watched the Hatchet movies that mm-hmm. have her in them. Also, I gotta say this is probably the best performance I've seen out of her, other than as a child in Halloween Four. <laughs> <laughs> is that terrible for me to say that? Because she did a great job as a child actor. Yes. But um, I feel like she did a good job. And I think the on the back end of this, I think Scout Taylor Compton did a great job too. Yes, I, I agree. Selling the, the terror mm-hmm. of being chased by this mountain. Yeah. So the I, I will say that the the part where he's effectively chasing her, it goes on a while. It, I mean, for a movie that's already pretty bloated, the, the chase scene and stuff between him, he and Laurie goes on for a really long time. You know what? 
this chase scene reminded me of, and I just thought of it. But you know what it reminds me of is the chase scene at the end of the Chainsaw movie with Jessica Biel. It's kind of the same, like all the hiding in the cat and mouse thing, and it just went on a little too long. Yes. Because it did in that movie too. Like those, I think if you watch those two side by side, they're probably pretty similar. I would agree with that. Absolutely. But at the end of this film, we have Lori shoot Michael in the head, the face. Yeah. And she gets like blood splatter all over her face. Yeah. So she got all the cranium. He's very fucking dead. She's going to be brushing brains out of her hair. At least I would think that. I mean, it's one thing where even though in OG, Loomis shot him six times, he still shot him in the chest. So the fact that maybe he got up and walked away doesn't seem that far-fetched. You know, maybe he's really seriously fucking hurt. It was a flesh wound. he could still get up and walk away. I don't know how you could walk away from getting shot in the face. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) I don't know. So H2 becomes an entirely different movie in almost every aspect. The tone is different. The aesthetic is different. The trashiness is still there, but... But they put the trashiness on people that we didn't didn't want to see the trashiness on. Right. Lori turns into a totally different person. Yeah, completely different. And while Scout Taylor Compton still does a great job in that role, I just don't like Lori as much. I, I've, I'm i not saying that she did a bad job. I, I found the way that she was written in part two to be tiresome. Yes, I with agree. the little tantrums and the bullshit. The whining. It just got old. And yeah. I understand she didn't she didn't write the script. She just tried to act those lines probably the best that she could. It just, it was too much of that. I also understand the fact that she probably has PTSD and is very damaged, but it just, ah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, to kind of back up and start the movie, right? So the very beginning of this movie is exactly the same as the very beginning of the OG part two. Right. It's in a hospital blah, blah, blah. Except when it's over, it was all a dream. Used to read Word Up magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. That part of the film, I think is great. Like everything from them wheeling her into the hospital and seeing just how much damage she sustained okay. from that night. And let's talk about that. Lori Strode, OG, spent all that time in a hospital. She got cut on the arm. That's the only injury. Like, you she see has her an ankle injury a little too. bit. But Scout got straight fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he fucked her all the way He brutalized the hell out of her. Yeah. So, and and uh, Caroline Williams being a being a nurse, I thought was really cool too. And then future Oscar winner Octavia Spencer gets cut in the face. But I enjoyed that portion of the film. It was brutal. It was tense. And you're like, yes, more of this, please. And then yes, only to find out it was it was just a nightmare she was having. And basically, even I mean, apart from us as viewers watching and growing tired of Lori's shit, apparently the people. People in her life have also grown tired of her shit because at one point she and Annie were best friends and now they tolerate each other. Well, but now they're roommates because Basically. she lives with Sheriff Brackett yeah. and Annie. But they treat each other as such too, or maybe they're not as close of friends, but they're sharing quarters. Lori has gone off and made new friends, which I don't care for either. Yeah. I get the impression though that uh, I just drew a blank on her name, Daniel Harris's character, Annie. She She's kind of trying to take care of Lori, sort of while she's living in the house, but she's, she's almost 
almost like taken on a, a parent role. Yes. Sort of where she's like, I, they fight. I don't approve of your decisions. I don't like your new friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the thing is, is I feel like they did her dirty in this one because the thing that annoyed me, I guess, the most with the way Lori was behaving is Annie got attacked too. She got fucked up pretty bad too. Her face is like all scarred up from being stitched back together. Yeah. And she has scars all over. Yeah. She got fucked up. Maybe not to the degree because she didn't have as much time with Michael attacking know. her, but she still got fucked up he, something proper. He cut her the hell up. Yeah. And it, 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 it made me feel bad for her as a character because you're having Lori, and I'm like, fuck, dude, Annie went through this shit too. Like everybody, like you're not the only person that this affected. No. You know? But Annie seemed to have, I guess, the mental toughness to kind of just move on. Right. Again, and reminding me of my sister. And Lori <laughs> you just. You need to suck it the fuck up. It just broke Lori. Yeah. She just couldn't, she couldn't put herself back together after. Right. And this, the new friends don't help. The same thing. We have two different versions of this film. Again, a director's cut and a theatrical cut. And in the director's cut, we are subjected to a lot more of Lori's whining and sitting with her in therapy sessions and being a pill popper and all this stuff, um, which I thought it was cool that Margot Kidder was her therapist. That was that was nice. It's just more of her being a brat. Yes. Much the way her brother was a brat <laughs> in the first one. Ah, funny you should say that. Um, we'll get there in a minute. I, I just found her almost to the point of unbearable in this film. Whereas before you sympathized and you liked her and you wanted to see her succeed. And in this one, you're just like, oh my God, please stop. I cannot listen to you whine anymore. Just, just stop talking. Yeah. And so that comes across in Annie as a character where she is also sick of it. But then you have Brackett taking care of both of these girls. And you can tell that he's still very much sympathetic to what Lori has been through and he's trying to be that father figure for her and bless him because again he did he did a terrific job I, in this one i was just thinking that i would have to look it up there he's got to have kids brad dorf has to he have does kids. fiona dorf okay well i don't fucking know that <laughs> but like when they're sitting at eating pizza and they're giving him a hard time about eating veggie or whatever and he's like i'm gonna have my bacon and cow and everything meat pizza yeah like yeah that's a dad thing yeah. Like he, he sells that part. I enjoyed that part. I don't know. I don't know why. It's like a benign, just hidden camera in the dining room kind of shot where they're they're all just being themselves. But this movie, Brad Dorf really, yeah. I mean, it's it's a damn shame that horror movies are not eligible for Academy Awards for some reason. Right. Because uh, he, damn. Yeah. But like we were saying, Lori's new friends, they don't mean anything. They're, they're fodder at the end of the day. And again, nothing against those two actresses because, ah, and I can't remember her name, but the girl who's her blonde friend has gone on to do great stuff in her career. She's made some great films. Um, she had a role in Dexter for a little bit. So I don't have a problem with the actress necessarily. I just didn't care for her friends at all. I think her her one friend just immediately coming in the door and saying, what up, dick ligas? Was like, okay, I'm ready for her to die already. And then Loomis, I would say he and Michael is are the two characters that got ruined the most in this film. So we'll talk about Michael last um but Loomis is really fucking sad what they did to him because he he played a character with so much I mean I, I I'll go as far as to say gravitas he brought something to that and they turned him into such an asshole like if I want your opinion I'll beat it out of you he tells that to a woman he's like I am selling the sizzle not the steak or uh I want my pg tips right now sizzling hot like he's and then cussing at reporters well 
number one, what the fuck are PG tips? And <laughs> two, they just turned him into a celebrity. Yes. Like this is a, this is just a, like they, like the fame went to his head. Yes. And I don't like it. Yeah. He, he says some really atrocious stuff and I don't know. I just, I, I thought it really sucked. And by the time you get around to the end of the film and he's like, oh, I've made a mistake or whatever. I need to go see if I can fix this. To me at that point, it feels like too little too late. Yeah. And another thing that they did in this movie, another thing that they changed that I didn't like is that they recast young Michael Myers in the flashback. Well, that's not really their fault. It is their fault. <laughs> so they, it's, it's not. not. The, it's not the actor's <laughs> fault or the actress's fault. I'm just saying that the movie overall, I don't know why they recast him because it because was shot the two kid years apart. Grew like a but foot. Here's the, okay, but that would make sense, right? So they recast this other kid, Chase Wright Vanek, to play Michael Myers. Looks, other than being blonde, nothing like right. the kid that played it in the first one. And if he went from like a normal size, like when he was interacting with the other two boys at school in the first movie, he looked like he's a normal, he's an average size kid, right? Mm-hmm. And then he turns into like the fucking Undertaker while he's in the sanitarium. Wouldn't it make sense if they're filming a flashback of him a couple years later in the sanitarium that he sprouted a couple of feet to help yeah. explain why the fuck he ended up seven feet tall? I Yeah, I get that argument. I do. I'm and just saying that. that's... the kid that they cast in part two did a bad job necessarily. It just didn't make any sense. I didn't say he did a good job. I just said he didn't do a bad <laughs> job. It just didn't make any sense. Like, yeah, so the kid's getting big. Like, it would make sense. Thematically, yes, it would make more sense. I, I agree. I see what you're saying. But And then they cast half of Sons of Anarchy in this movie. Right. But they did do a thing to to Loomis that they also did to Loomis in the original is that why does everybody blame him for Michael escaping? I, I, I will never I've understand never, that. I've never been able to figure that out. Like, Brackett did it in the original. Like, you let him out. You let him out. Like, no, he he didn't you think he, he just es- walked up there and opened the door and said go have fun exactly he escaped it's guys time to party like, come on Idiots. and so they did the same thing in in h2 where they're blaming him for getting out your monster killed my daughter like he's not my monster i'm his doctor it's not a sartain situation he didn't I'm crash not, the prison bus in- i'm not dr frankenstein i did not build it yeah it's yeah. not my monster he did not facilitate this escape and so that that choice just never ceases to amaze me but Moving on to Michael, I think me and the majority of people, this is where our problem lies. And well, again, it's nothing against Tyler Maine. He's still great as Michael. But to turn him into this unstoppable rage monster, he's a homeless bum? Well, but we we didn't quite get there yet, right? Because you didn't even talk about Richard Brake. Oh, oh my gosh. Be or still my heart, Richard Brake. Dayton Callie well, of Sons of Anarchy fame. Because it's not a scene that really... They're ambulance drivers. Yeah, it's not... But yeah, again, the reason I bring that up is because zombie wrote this to make people as disgusting as possible yes yes uh specifically your boyfriend richard brake yes he's the nastiest fucking person in this movie <laughs> i don't know i'm i'm sorry i hadn't i did not have any idea who richard brake was until 31 which i know is another film that is a source of contention for people but i enjoyed his character of doomhead so much that pretty much any time richard brake has been in any film i'm like yes so I get really excited in Mandy and, you know, pretty much everything else that I have seen him in thus far. The first time I watched this film, however, I hated his character so 
much just because of the dialogue. And then after the cow incident, he sits for like 10 minutes going, fuck, 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 fuck. He was all fucked up and then Michael fucked him up. got really old. (laughs) I have, since 31, I have uh, changed my tune on Richard Brake. So So I kind of wanted to come back to that scene uh, for two real reasons. Number one, Richard Brake. And number two, we got to talk about the fucking white unicorn in the room. Well, I was going to make it there eventually, but you're all, we're going to talk about things in sequence. But you already talked about Hobo Michael and Hobo Michael happened after that. I know, but I wasn't talking in sequence this time. Oh, okay. So. You need to clarify the order of events. (laughs) We're just, we're just having an open discussion at this point for the latter half of the episode. I openly hate this movie. (laughs) So maybe you can explain to me then what the fuck was going on with the white horse. So, it, in in my mind, anytime I'm going to think of a white horse being in a... Halluc- Mr. Ed. No, being oh, okay. a hallucinatory figure, Rob Zombie's H2 is not what I go to first. I go straight to David Lynch. And I don't know if that Rob Zombie had that in mind when bringing this up. But He's not David Lynch. If you are familiar with Twin Peaks, the white horse is basically... Leland Palmer drugs his wife so that he can his daughter, Laura. And every time he drugs his wife, she sees a white horse in the room with her. Now, that was a choice that seemed, I don't know, it was very surreal and creepy and provided the dread because you knew what Leland was going to do every time you saw that fucking white horse in the ceiling fan. You knew it was bad. And in this film, it's like, what? I don't understand what this this is supposed to symbolize. Well, I, I vaguely remember them saying that a white horse symbol something, but I wasn't interested, so I didn't listen. <laughs> it seems like this mechanic was Zombie wanted to cast his wife in this film, so he wrote some shit in there to have a reason for her to be in it. Probably. probably. Again, it's not nothing necessarily against her, but... Thematically, this doesn't fit. Whole, and this shit pops up throughout the film. The whole thing didn't make any sense. This is back to the fact that we are giving Michael motive. And his motive in this film is the fact that he is seeing his mother and and she's basically saying, we all need to be a family again. We need to be a family again. You need to bring Lori to me and whatever. And so that is his driving force. Uh, Lori's the MacGuffin, I guess. So, okay. So I take that to mean that since mom's dead now and mom is telling Michael, bring her to me. That's why he's trying to kill her in this one. I guess. Where he wasn't in the first one. Yeah. And much like Halloween 5. So was he going to off himself so they could all be together at the end of this one? I have no idea. But much like Halloween 5 where they introduced, or well, actually it was the end of Halloween 4 where they introduced the, the scene where Jamie touches hands with Michael for a brief moment. And like Corey in Halloween Ends, there's some transference that seems to happen where... Corey getting, like, looking into his eyes or whatever, something transpired between the two of them. Jamie touching hands with him, passed something on to her. This one, Lori has no contact with him whatsoever, and yet seems to still somehow get scientific, or scientific. Scientifically attached. (laughs) You knew what I was trying to say. Okay, but now that you bring that up, that's not totally correct, and it would make sense, but I don't know that Zombie thought that way about it. She did have contact with Michael. In the first film, she had his brains all over her face. Well, I don't... So... Yeah, I don't think that's how... Is that, like, did she absorb some of that, and that's the reason she's acting like he did as a child in this movie? I don't think so. I don't think that was thought about at all. There there was no deep thinking. Well, you brought up a very valid point. This whole movie is a music video. 
Yes. That's that's what it feels like. It feels like music video scene after music video scene, in particular with Lori's Nightmares, which I will openly admit, if it were a music video, I think it was fucking cool. Yeah. This, Rob this, Zombie missed his calling. He should have just, he should just do music videos because he'd be badass at that. Yeah. Because visually, they're a feast. They're, he made a lot of great choices visually. Again, like we've said before, but there's just too much in this film that felt Felt like it was just padding the runtime, trying to get it over with. We have like a 20 or 30 minute Halloween party scene that I give not one two fucks about. You know, I don't need to see her friends getting laid. I don't need to see a guy making stupid jokes on a stage, which I believe was Jeffrey Daniel Phillips, who played dual roles in this film as this guy at a party, DJ or whatever you call those people. And he was also a bouncer at the Red Rabbit, the Red Rabbit. Right. <laughs> strip club and I happen to really like Jeffrey Daniel Phillips I think he's a he's a great actor again he's somebody that I really enjoyed in the Lords of Salem so I was not unhappy with with his part in the film at all but again Michael shows up to the strip club for reasons for reasons and it doesn't matter it doesn't serve the story we all we see is just him beat another naked woman to death because we well, didn't get quite enough of that in the first Film. But she's sleeping with the strip yeah. Club but owner. again, it serves no purpose. No, it really does. So they're, that, they're, they're nothing. So that's one of the things, and you brought up Lynch that I have an issue with in in this movie specifically. If Lynch puts a pink elephant in his film and you talk to him and you're like, there's an elephant in there. Does it mean something? He's going to tell you, yes, it does. It's a critical plot point. And you say, what does it mean? He's going to say, figure it out. Whatever you think it means. And it does mean something, right? Like yeah. it is a critical plot point. And I feel like if you had a zombie, why did you put a fucking white unicorn or horse or whatever? I don't know if it was a horny horse or not, but <laughs> maybe it was horse. a horny horse. Maybe it wasn't a horny <laughs> horse. I have no idea. But why'd you put it in there? He's like, well, it's pretty cool. You know, I feel like that's the answer you'd get. Uh, like there is no, does it would, mean something? No, oh, but it was pretty cool, right? No, I think he had in his own mind, I think he had a reason for it. It just doesn't make any sense in a film like this where things seem to be mishmashed together. But I feel like probably this strip club scene, like if you ask him, does this mean something? He might tell you, yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it. The, you, nothing was revealed in is this scene. Is it like scene. Michael taking revenge because his mother worked there? Like I don't, yeah, it, it, it's just something that Maybe. doesn't. Because I mean, they do they do bring that up a couple times in the first one, and you get to see her working there. But I mean, if that's it, I I don't know. I mean, he could have just gone there and killed some people and left. We don't need to see Frankenstein owner having sex, or we don't need all the dialogue. We don't need that shit. He shows up, he kills two people and leaves, and it's fine. Yeah, you could have shortened that scene way up, and I guess that's kind of the in his mind. Did all these things mean something, and we just missed it? I don't think so. And that's the reason they're in there because for me, like you just said, it feels like we're just trying to extend the movie. Yes, it, it was a film that wasn't needed. Now, if he had gone back, and we're just gonna replay the hospital again. Cool. Do your own interpretation of that. You know, that's that's fine. Introduce more nurses, doctors, what have you, and let's do that. But when he decided to take it off the rails to where we're going, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen next. I don't know what this is. Kind of, it's just leaves you there scratching your head. In particular, when there's really no big payoff to any of this. So I'll draw a, a, the same parallel, I guess, again, between 1978's and his first Halloween. 
Halloween. If you stop there, I'm okay. I watched the original OG Halloween 2. I watched this this Halloween 2. And on both of them, I'll tell you, I don't need this movie. I was good where they ended the last one. Yeah. Halloween has always been a film that didn't need a sequel. Correct. The way they ended that with Michael's body being gone off the lawn and Loomis looking out into the night and then hearing Michael's breathing over various locations. I don't know that a film ends more perfectly than that one. It was a good conclusion. Yeah. And even in the most recent trilogy... At the end of 2018, if you'd left the ambiguousness of Michael's in this burning house and maybe he's gone and maybe he's not, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Honestly. That would have felt more poetic, sort of. On Halloween 2, Evil Dies Tonight, that's the the subtitle. If you'd have left it there, I would have been okay with that. Didn't really need the third one. Didn't really need this one. Didn't really need the OG part two. I just. But at the end of the day, we just love having Michael and we like watching him fuck up people. I like to see Michael. I just wish that for H2, it would have been a better story for him to be in at least. Agreed. Which Tyler Mayne brought it again. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But going, circling back to, after we've tangented for a while. You said this was an open discussion. Circling back to what they did with Michael in this film, I don't like. Homeless Michael? Yeah, they have him. Hobo train riding Michael? Just kind of bumming around. And we see way too much of his face in this film. We do. Way too much. Part of what made Michael so scary is that we didn't see him. And yes, I know that in OG, there is the scene, Tony Moran, you know, his face and everything. But it's it's not like it hangs on it to the point where you can really see his face. He's got an eye that's fucked up. He's, you know, there's still, there's still some mystery there. Yeah, but this one, it's like, it's Grizzly Adams with some latex on the side of his face. Right. They show us way too much. And then they made the choice that for whatever reason, we're going to humanize him more. And I don't know why that was a choice either. Like with the the grunting and hell, even at the end, we've neglected to bring it up. But even at the end of, of Halloween, where he pulls the photograph out of him and Boo to show it to her and he's on his knees and kind of looks sad or whatever. That's that harkens back to again Halloween five. I'm starting to see way too many similarities between yeah. uh, this yeah. film and that one. We don't need Michael to be human. He's not supposed to be. Now again, we have talked about whatever interpretation you want to do that's different. Cool. So I understand that right now I'm coming across as Are you gatekeeping right now? No, I'm not gatekeeping right now. So I assume or assume I understand that I'm coming across as hypocritical when I say that. But I'm saying that I understand why people don't like that. I can understand that decision. Does it make me hate this this film? No. But I still wasn't a fan of that choice. I think... When you compare him to the way he was in the first yeah, film. I think that universally, almost universally, and I'm sure somebody can point this out that I'm wrong if they want to. I think that for the most part, though, you can do whatever you want with Michael Myers. You can do with whatever you want with Jason. You can do whatever you want with Freddy. With the world they're in as long as you don't change them do you know what i mean yeah like just, you it, can you can put michael myers killing people on mars in a colony as long as he still acts like michael myers right and, and I guess, people wouldn't give a shit they'd still bitch about the movie but as long as he still acts like michael myers they're okay but the moment he makes noise shows that he's in pain the moment he doesn't act like michael myers it's not okay anymore does that make sense yeah i'm just saying like like for instance okay we have had well not we me i didn't have a bitch about it but i know a lot of people were pissed off with ends because of the choices that they made by bringing in Corey when he was not a character that was already established 
in the first two films. I, I get that, bitch. But Michael himself was consistent in all three films. He did not have any personality changes. He didn't have... He just got old. Yes. He, But he was the same. He was but, still that pure, unadulterated evil. Yeah, but we've talked about that. I, I had an issue with how they did Michael in the last one. He still acted like Michael, I, but I don't I don't think he should have been as frail. Yeah. You know? Like, he got his power back when he slaughtered 87 people in the middle of the fucking street <laughs> or whatever. When he went on his killing spree. And clearly, killing people makes him stronger. I just don't. Okay, I don't, fine. I, I see what you're saying. That. I see what you're saying. But he didn't, he didn't whimper or grunt or any of that. Story-wise, like, they were not the most consistent either. They I, I get weren't. It. So but. it's it's you're telling me right now it's unfair for me to be judging this film and not judging that film and I I think if you're going to judge something harshly <laughs> judge all of it harshly be, I will be consistent I will apologize for that I'm just um I'm a Corey apologist so <laughs> well and that's the thing is that I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with Corey and I know we already talked about this we're getting way the fuck off topic I do wish that they had shown him a couple of times maybe in the first two movies yeah. he didn't have to be a character he didn't even have to have a fucking speaking part show him in the background getting a fucking coke somewhere or something you know what yeah. i mean at least some go oh 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 it's that guy you know what i mean yeah so like the like the graveyard caretaker it just would have been some fun to have some kind of recognition there right you know what i mean like the caretaker at the cemetery and then she pops up and you're like oh shit it's that lady yeah um i think that would have been nice to have just to establish a little bit of continuity instead of just somebody brand new it's like surprise motherfucker yeah here's I just, this guy i guess my complaint is just that between halloween and h2 it just feels so jarring between well, that's those because two he didn't films. want to make this movie. Yeah, it just it just feels like we went from one extreme to the other. We that, did. That's all. That that's all I was trying to convey. We did. And honestly, you could call the first one Halloween, and I'm good with it. If you'd, I'm be okay with the second one if you didn't tell me it's a Halloween movie. That's the thing. It's like if this put another put a different title on it. Don't tell me that that's Michael Myers, and I'm okay. I know that we have said that a lot of people have said that about Halloween three, you know, or Halloween ends. So. This seems to there's a consistency and it's inconsistence. There, there you go. Well, I think the consistent part is don't fuck with my movie monster. See, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. No, that's not my but, thing. I, I don't care if anybody tries something different with the monster. I'm just saying between those two films, I feel like they changed Michael but too much. I will say this: at the end of the day, if Rob Zombie made three more Halloween movies, I'm gonna watch them all. Oh yeah, that's, I'm gonna that's hate the them. Thing. I'm not gonna like them, but I'm gonna watch them I, because it's Michael Myers and I like Michael Myers and I want to see what they did. And there's been a lot of people especially here lately and god damn we're way off topic that are like they ruined the franchise no they didn't they didn't ruin the franchise they, they just did, gave they their didn't ruin the whole series they just made a different movie than what you wanted but you know it's cool and here's the thing is that if we just keep letting people make their own interpretation at some point somebody's gonna make never hike alone and they're gonna make it on a big budget and you're gonna be like my god that's the best halloween movie that's ever been fucking made uh that's bold i, I don't I, i'm just telling you i personally don't think there's any think topping there's other there's other ideas out there and if if we just let people keep throwing shit at the wall, eventually something's going to stick in here and go, holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, maybe. I, I have my doubts, but maybe. Well. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Again, 78's a perfect film. And it's, it's I, great. I, I realize that I've gone to fangirl status with 78. It's I, great, I but I'm just, I don't know. People are like, I got it. They just want they just want people to keep remaking the same shit and then they complain because yes. all they get is the same shit. Right. And uh, I'm the same way. So, that's why I said I enjoy this interpretation. I enjoyed David Gordon Green's interpretation right. i just like the character but, i want to see him do different but things. back to this movie we did get to see him do different things as a hobo <laughs> not a hobo with a shotgun it wasn't rudger <laughs> hauer um but 
I kind of think we just should go ahead and skip to the part where Annie dies. Okay. Because there's a lot of just filler there, you know. Actually, she dies while they're at the party, right? Yes. That scene was just heartbreaking. It was. Not her dying. Like, her dying, it was bad. It and still she was. she did a great job. No, no, no. She did a thing in the scene, okay, where he shows up. She's in the bathroom getting ready to shower or whatever. And she has this moment where he's entered the room and she just kind of slowly, like, looks at him. And the look on her face just kills me every time. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't explain it. But the look on her face when he walks in the door, you just know it's it's fixing to be bad. She knows it's going to be and bad. Her, that's, I think that's the worst part is that you can see it on her face that yes. she knows this is the end. Yeah. And her performance, her screaming and her crying was way too realistic. That shit was on point. It really, really was. But as good as her performance was, Brad Dorf one upped her. Absolutely. When he got there. That yeah. that I can't I can't watch that. I have daughters and it tears me up to watch him on yeah. that. Again, that give that man an Oscar or something. He is he does not get the respect he deserves no, as no, an actor. He is not even close. So underrated and so underappreciated. People hear Brad Dorf and they automatically think Chucky, watch this movie. Watch don't no, fuck no watch this movie. Um <laughs> watch watch this five minutes with him in it where he's reacting to his daughter's death and oh my God. And but Fiona, that may have been the place he went to mentally. Maybe. Maybe like then. how would I react if I walked in on this and this was really my child. So you asked who Fiona is. Are you familiar at all with Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky? So listen, I'm pretty sure we watched those movies one time. Okay. Well, you are aware that in Curse of Chucky, there was a girl that was in a wheelchair, Nika. Yes, yes. That's his daughter. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Now you know who she is. Now you're, you're, don't be over the rolling your eyes at me. <laughs> Because even you've said that most of those movies that they made after the fact kind of sucked and you only watched them the one time. Or you only watched them the one time with no. me. No. Yeah, maybe with you. I think it was Cult of Chucky. You were like, why the fuck are there 15 of them running around? Yeah, the, the TV series, which is really good. I know that you haven't watched it. It has sprung. I've seen like two episodes. It has sprung from those latter okay. films. Okay. So, But no, um, yeah, I agree. Everybody thinks but that he's just Chucky. but That dude dug deep for this. That people often forget about The Exorcist 3 or. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. The guy has chops. At like he was worm tongue in Lord yeah, of the Rings. God yeah. damn it! Like the the dude is so versatile. I just yeah. I, I, I didn't don't realize he, that was him in Lord of the Rings at first. Yeah, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. No, absolutely not. So yeah, like we were saying, th- this was a scene that I did feel some emotional reaction with in a film where I was going, "What the fuck is going on right now?" You know. And eventually, Laurie does make it back to the house. She has one of her friends with her and they find Annie. And again, Scout gives a a great performance here too, coming across Annie. But after that, we just get another really long drawn out chase scene between the two of them. And it's not that Michael doesn't do anything great because the dude fucking rolls a car over. Like (laughs) he's still a six foot nine animal. Yes. He's running around tearing shit up. He's still fine. But eventually during some point, like we were saying earlier, Loomis does go, oh shit, I need to go fix this. And it ends up in this standoff in this old shack in the middle of the woods and Brackett understandably is ready to fucking kill Loomis. Again, not Loomis's fault that Michael escaped by any stretch of the imagination. But, but it, in writing that book he did, he is responsible for everything that transpired after. I think for Brackett at this point his daughter just died and he's looking for vengeance. Right. He doesn't care who has to die at this point. He wants Michael and anyone responsible for Michael 
to die. Right. Like, this is about retribution at this point. Yeah. This justice is not a thing for him right now. Yeah. But Loomis is like, I owe you this. I can fix this. And like we were saying, there's some kind of transference that has happened between Michael and Lori. So the things that Michael sees, for some reason, Lori sees too. So now she is seeing her mother and everybody's looking at her like, what the fuck, dude? There's nobody there. Lori's like being held down by child Michael, who's not actually there. It's because Lonnie used to sell her dad peyote. Oh my God. (laughs) That's why. That's why she's seeing that shit. Lori, I don't know. Loomis comes in and Michael fucking says die and effectively kills Loomis this time because it looked like at the end of the other one, he crushed his fucking skull It really looked like he should have been dead. Yes, but he, nonetheless, he lived to fight another day, but this time he's really fucking dead. And Lori ends up, I don't remember how it goes. Again, there's differences between the director's cut and the theatrical, so I can't remember what goes to what, but there's one where Michael gets shot all the fuck up and gets killed and then Lori comes out and she gets all shot the fuck up by the cops too because she comes out wearing Michael's mask and it's a whole thing but at any in either version we end up cutting to her either in a sanitarium I'm not sure if that's clear or not she's either in the sanitarium or she's fucking dead but she's in this white room and now she's seeing the horse and I actually really really love this shot of Lori where it's a close-up on her face in the camera very reminiscent of Anthony Perkins and Psycho at the end of that film and she just kind of smiles at the camera so that yeah I I still watch both of those movies back to back to me it's it's one long story so I it's not one that I've said this is horrible I'm never watching it I still like this film despite its many problems I don't I don't I, like the, I don't like this movie I know you don't I like Tyler Maine I love Brad Dorf I feel like Daniel Harris and Scout Taylor Compton did badass jobs with yeah and, well, and okay. because of that as a result they also now have their own podcast. I feel like Daniel Harris did a badass job. I feel like Scout Taylor Compton did a badass job with what they gave her. Yeah. <laughs> and I might have to include the first one in that because she did a much better job in the first one than she did in the second one. But they gave her shit to work yeah. with in the second one. Like, we just need you to scream and cry a lot. Yeah. But uh, those two have their own podcast now. They're like best friends and they talk about their experiences in in uh, being actresses and true crime stuff, uh, advice, all kinds of like cool stuff. So it's a it's a really great show. I, I think it's called uh, Talk Scary to Me. And I listen to that not every week consistently, but it, it is a show that I go back to pretty often. But yeah, and they're pretty uncensored. They they kind of just say whatever they want to say. Yes. Yeah. Including <laughs> recent news. Uh, they're how Jamie Lee Curtis treated them. They met Jamie Lee and they mm-hmm. will talk about that experience. Yeah. They, they will talk about it. It is not a, for us to talk not, about. Not our not our experience to share. Yes. But, but check it out. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I've listened to one whole episode. It's pretty cool. But <laughs> but at any rate, these these are films that I, I do enjoy his interpretation. I love Rob Zombie as a musician. I I you know I've been there from the beginning because I'm White Zombie. Fucking old. Yeah. I started with White Zombie, went into solo stuff and have loved it. I have an autographed picture in our studio right now that my sister got me because she also loves Rob Zombie and she actually got to meet him and take photos, get an autograph. And so, yeah, I'm looking at my autographed picture right now. So I I have tremendous respect for him as a filmmaker. I think despite whether or not his films are always consistent in their quality, I do think he has a unique vision that, and I I can respect his don't give a fuck attitude. I would say 
for my from for me my opinion rob zombie's a great artist so if you deal with anything that has to do with art his music the way he frames shots the art part of things he does a fantastic job agree you take the notepad away from him though because he can't write shit i have always said that it is if somebody would just give him a team of writers somebody to just keep him in check a little bit and say okay we're, we're going off the rails again dude or hey maybe you want to dial back on the on the graphic stuff or or, or just make him the director the dialogue hand him a script and say make this badass right yeah exactly other than that yeah ton, tons and tons of respect for the guy yeah he's the been devil's, around forever and the he's devil's still rejects going. is probably my favorite rob zombie film it's not my favorite movie um well i don't know i really fucking love the lords of salem too like a lot i love that movie it's it's really if you've never seen it it's a feast for the eyes it's it's a heartbreaking story and it's fucking disturbing okay hang on i gotta retract my last statement the devil's rejects might be my favorite one of his because it just dawns on me that they play Freebird at the end of that oh one. my so god i, I mean, don't i don't like the first one. i mean i feel like the devil's rejects was better written oh absolutely i don't like the first one i really don't like the third one uh three from hell um yeah so out of the out of that trilogy uh devil's rejects probably my favorite yeah there's a lot of people that say halloween is their favorite of his but i i really really enjoy lords of salem a lot it's it, it's again it's a film that's not going to be for everybody but i feel like he has found his niche in uh exploitation style type films i just wish he would try something else and i understand that he just did with the monsters oh no you didn't watch it you don't know what I he did to the monsters don't want to watch it either here's what i'm gonna say though sherry wasn't a terrible lily monster okay uh, i don't know about line delivery but the line delivery to be fair wasn't fantastic for everyone in that movie <laughs> for everyone. All of them had lines where you're like, that's I, that's not how you wouldn't say that in real life. Like normally you'd never, that's not how you just say that. You don't say that that way. So you don't just, say that. You just don't say it like that. Stop <laughs> fucking saying it like that. Um, I watched the trailer and clearly, went, nope. She had clearly watched the old Munsters and like Lily Munster's mannerisms and the way she moved. She had clearly watched it. I mean, it wasn't, her part wasn't bad. So Herman Munster was I didn't really, fucking bad. I didn't really grow up with the Munsters. I did. I was aware of it, and I think I probably saw an episode here and there. I was a Scooby-Doo girl. That's that's what I had growing up. Yeah, so I was too, except I saw them the first time around, and you saw them on reruns. <laughs> right. <laughs> when I saw them, they were still new. But no, so th- I'm not I'm not going to be fair to Herman Munster, because there's nobody that's going to measure up to... You're about to say Judd Crandall, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> The guy from Pet Cemetery who did the original Herman Munster. It's just, that's not even fair. Fred it's like Gwen, honey. Fred it's like Gwen. comparing any any Michael Myers to Nick Castle. Right. It's not fucking fair to do that. Um, or pair, uh, comparing any actor, any male actor to Kurt Russell. It's not fair. Don't oh, do it. Oh, hell no. That's not fair for Don't anybody. The, by beard alone. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, but it was still bad. It was still a really bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was still really bad. I said I watched the trailer and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, if you want to watch a movie that's based on something that was way back when and you kind of a throwback thing just watch the fucking brady bunch go to hawaii or something <laughs> don't watch the no, brady movie. bunch yo that's my jam i mean at Not least that had lie. what's his name in it uh they're gonna get kicked out of an applebee's game <laughs> for talladega nights at least he's in it and he's fucking hilarious even when he's playing a brady gary cole yeah i love that guy he's hilarious yes i agree but anyway so overall how do you feel about rob zombies two movies like if you put them together how do you feel about it i like them again you like i them? i enjoy this interpretation so you, you would tell people watch them both um 
I would say watch him, but if you've never seen him before, I would say also go in with the knowledge that this is not your Michael Myers. It's not your grandma's Michael Myers. Is it like, your grandma's Michael Myers? Yeah. Like, it's not your grandma's cookies. <laughs> See, I just, I would say I like the first one okay. If I if you give me a choice of all the Halloweens to watch, I'm probably not going to pick that one. But there are other ones that I would pick his first Halloween over them. Yes. Like, I would pick Rob Zombie's first Halloween over probably Halloween 5 or 6. Yes. Um, I'm going to pick it over H2O. I'm going to pick it over Resurrection every fucking time. Um, but part two, pretty much going to watch any of the ones I just named before I watch his part two. Uh, not me. I would not watch Resurrection before. I would. Oh, that's that's sad, honey. I will. That's so sad. I will watch Busta <laughs> Rhymes, Kung Fu Michael Myers before I watch... <laughs> His part too. Oh goodness! Like why couldn't why couldn't they even get, why couldn't they get a fucking cool rapper? Why couldn't they put Ludacris in that role or something? Oh At least get God. somebody relevant. Fucking Buster Rhymes. Oh my gosh! I'm you're being, being I'm you're just being, being a dick mean. right now. I am. <laughs> That's because I like Ludacris. He's, he's funny. Oh my God. I, and here's the thing. I don't listen to his music. I just like him because he was in Fast and Furious and he was funny. Bullshit. You don't know his music because you quote his music like. Do I really? Yes, you do. What? Are, what is it? Oh my gosh. You. I do just the- listen. I hear shit and then I repeat <laughs> shit. I don't know where it comes from. You I told, just say it. You've told me on, one more, on more than one occasion, like, you'll know me like that or whatever. Is that him? Yes. Damn, I'm going to look that up. How many times have we both said, whoa, bitch, get out the way? Oh, I say that like daily. Yes. Yes, pretty much. So and that's him. Yes. Awesome. I'm gonna have to check his shit <laughs> oh out. Oh my god. I have to actually listen. I just liked him because he was funny <laughs> oh, in Fast and the Furious movies. I'm gonna pretend you didn't say that. And on that note, guys, we I should go think, away now. I think we're going to wrap this up, and this uh, effectively ends our Spooktober 2022. And we go into Travis had a brilliant idea for November. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Not really. <laughs> um. So nobody, nobody, neither of us want to cover thanks killing we just don't we're not gonna we don't want to do it can't do it we're not gonna do it um none of you want to hear us talk about thanks killing because all accounts it's a fucking horrible movie um i i will i will uh give a shout out and a suggestion at the same time if you're just curious and want to hear somebody talk about thanks killing go to dr wolfula's channel because he's the only one who had the guts to uh die for our sins that took some big old balls to do that one <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Um, so the idea was let's just pick movies, horror movies that we are thankful for. Thankful for. Yeah. So you picked Hellraiser, the new one. Yes. And something else. So we're not going to give away the entire schedule right now. It's just. Uh, but we're going to do the new Hellraiser first. Yes. Right? Next week we are coming back with Hellraiser 2022. We did uh, Halloween Ends. And if there were access to continue to watch Terrifier 2, we would be covering that as well. But unfortunately, we have to wait but I, we gave it one of yours i'll give away one of mine i'm thankful for terrifier yes the first one and we're yeah. going to talk about that okay and so for we'll all give you, half of our schedule away we're going to give you 50 percent. <laughs> so yes look forward to hellraiser 2022 and uh, terrifier yeah i was trying to remember what year that came out i feel like it's 2013 it came out in the year that it came out i think i feel like it's 2013 at any rate but but yes we're going to be talking about those two and i can't wait <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to be really honest. Uh, Hellraiser is another one that uh, people landed on both sides of the fence, but overall seems to be more positive than Halloween Ends was. I landed on the fence. 
it hurt a lot. No, you are so full of shit right now yeah, because I, know, I, liked I liked it. You liked it, yeah. Um, and then we got to work out a December schedule because I, I don't. I feel like we're kind of tapped out on Christmas movies, so we'll talk about that. We haven't but covered you know any make, Christmas movies. You know what would, what, no, because we took December off last yes, year. Yes, we did. You know what would make this a lot fucking easier if our patrons would request some movies. Ooh, as a matter of fact, I think we have gotten a patron request from Lala. Nice, but we can always count on Lala. It's not a horror movie. <laughs> what is it? She wants us to cover Cool World, which I think I've only seen one time. The fuck is Cool World? When I was a kid, and it's like wait, uh, oh, I know that movie. It's Brad Pitt. Which yeah, it's animated. You love. It's like fucking Roger well, Rabbit. He's not. Yeah, it's it's like Roger Rabbit, where he is live action. Oh no, you had me at Brad Pitt. Let's do it. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. You, <laughs> your, your boyfriend, your husband, Brad Pitt. He's um, a sexy bitch. But yeah, she asked if we would cover that sometime. And I'm like, how do we make that work? You know what? We'll do it as an action movie because we got we're going to do action movies for patrons. That's not an action movie. Though. You don't know that. <laughs> That's true. Last, I really don't. When's know the last that. time you watched that movie? I I knee high to a grasshopper. Which, to be fair, I have not grown that much since then. But yeah, that was like last year. So, <laughs> but anyway, we'll figure something out. We'll figure it out. And for all patrons or patrons, patrons, I'm going to get that wrong every fucking time. For our patrons all- at the Walmart. <laughs> For our patrons, stay tuned because we're fixing to be starting our uh, our other our other show. Other other sh- our other other show, other show called that, that we are lovingly calling All Out of Bubblegum, and that's where we tackle our favorite action movies. So if you join our patron, you get access to our Tales from the Crypt show and our new action show, which we will be doing this week covering Bloodsport. Yay! Yeah, yeah. So we did rock, paper, scissors for who got first pick and i lost like five out of seven so <laughs> i fucking suck at rock paper scissors um and you, if you pick paper every time at some point they're gonna figure it out right <laughs> but at some point we're gonna do last action hero yes. that's happening because so, i want it so please consider joining our patron to get our bonus content and just hear more of us bullshitting and if you're wondering other. we are less coherent on the patreon yes. than we are on this yes we are <laughs> but until next week when we cover hellraiser take care guys bye what would you do to save the life of a teenage boy? If you subscribe to our Patreon for just 3 to $10 a month, you can get Aiden out of the industrial-sized hamster wheel we use to power our show. For that, you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove Aiden's handcuffs. He doesn't run worth a shit with them on anyway. Also be sure to show your support on our social media pages. You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration.